Janice Connolly, the Artistic Director of Women and Theatre, and I'm really pleased to welcome you to the Women and Theatre podcast. In this episode, we will share a performance of monologues called Looking Back, Moving Forwards, which presents different experiences of older LGBTQ plus people living in Birmingham. It was researched and written by Hannah Graham and myself. It was commissioned by Birmingham Solihull Mental Health Foundation Trust and was performed for professionals and service users in 2019. You're about to hear the piece performed by me, Janice Connolly, with Hannah Graham and Richard Kerno-Stevens. Behind the green door, membership with a card, Late at night. Steps down to a basement. Two, Two knocks, knocks on a door. On on a, door. a hatch slides to the side. I see two eyes. As music seeps out, he lets us in. Sign in the book. Mickey Mouse. And Donald Duck. The doorman gives us a knowing smile. The people drinking, everyone dancing. Classics on the jukebox. The underworld and the gay world, clearly aligned. Club lands defined by its edge, whether it's sensual or druggy, it's always had an edge. Sex workers, prostitutes, and us? It was rough, run by butch pimps wearing guys' trousers. Hours tick by, groups of youths starting trouble outside, rejected by society. Pulling us all together. Nothing in common. But, but that. Out and in. Terry. He, him. Of course I wasn't going to put my real name. Being 17, I was too frightened to say uh, who I really was. Especially if they knew back home what I was up to. Besides, there wasn't much going on in West Brom. If you were from the black country and you said you were gay, people would have something to say about it. Not least my mother. There were expectations. Unspoken things. She would have preferred me to get married, I suppose. Have kids, you know. Give her grandchildren. Fulfil social norms. But that wasn't me. So, here I am. A young lad at the Nightingale. Not the one on her street. The old one on Thorpe Street. Little did I know I was about to spend twenty years in a bar looking for a partner. Listening to disco. I don't even like disco. Don't really like drinking. But if you weren't seen in the scene making a proper show over yourself, you'd get overlooked. It's like it was seen as some sort of defect to be introverted. But we're not all the same, are we? We have different personalities. I realised quickly the gay scene can be very shallow. Too loud. Too in your face. Very little depth. Dark rooms, places like Subway City. Men would go in there, get sex at any time with anybody. Then what? They go home to their mums, never admitting who they were and never really connecting with anyone, compartmentalising their lives. To be honest, I have come out and in all my life. Must have come out about four times, then gone back in again. The community is full of people with mental health problems. You know, drink, drugs, prancing around. It's not an easy life. 
Sure, the law has changed, but that doesn't change how some people treat you. By the time I reached 40, I wanted out of all the nights out. I wanted something different. I wanted to meet my soulmate. Then I joined a gay outdoor club where I met my partner. We're both Quakers. And we just have a really nice life together. Honestly, if you can find the right partner, it's a bit like winning the lottery. It's like, I have a close friend. He's 79, right? He would love someone to travel with. He's got a lot of disposable income, travels the world, but he never takes any photographs. He's no one to look at them with, no one to share holidays with. I don't know. My advice is find other places to go. It's not all about the flashy places. Look around the edges a bit. Talk to people, if they'll talk to you. It's still a big step up for people. It takes a lot of courage to go into places. Sometimes it can feel like the entire world is against you, so it's hard for some people to even get out the door in the first place. On the ball, Ash, she, her. Jodie Foster was in this thing called Football Girl. I liked that. I suppose... I suppose I liked girls in more male roles. That's what interested me. Oh, Martina Navratilova. She was a big one for me. PE teachers as well. They were strong role models. I teach girls football myself. Rainbow boots, it's called, for eight, nine and ten-year-old girls. I want the girls to be able to stand up for their rights, to be who they are. One of the girls was actually explaining to the others what LGBT stood for recently. Yeah. I think there's still a problem with being gay in football, though. Girls have to present as being glamorous all the time, which isn't right. I do think children seem a lot more informed these days. I just think there's a lot more about now than when I was younger. Now it seems to be everywhere with social media and all that. In the past, I don't know how we did it. Well, you found out somehow. By chance you'd meet somebody, but we didn't have the technology to link it all up. It was the same with football, really. I didn't have the avenues to get into football these girls have. Didn't have the same opportunities. So I want to be a good coach and guide them. And it's important to me that they feel confident and supported to get into it. Girls football is growing. It's really taking off. Being a qualified football coach is hard work, but I get a lot out of it. It's enjoyable. I mean, it's not difficult being a woman getting into football because the FA, they want women to play. They can smell money. It's getting more competitive these days and the clubs are on the lookout for talent, so I just want to help these girls get to where they want to be. I don't know, I think if I were 18 now, in some aspects, some things would be the same. I don't think you ever move on from prejudice. It just goes round in a circle. Things change, yeah, but changes will always come. That's the way of things. Let's get back to, back to disco! disco. George, he, him. Hey, my friend answered you. Oh, yeah. Which one? Bella, to me right. Send him over. We'll have a drink. That's how it went if you were in the windmill club before it changed to partners. Anyway, we had these phones on the table, so if you saw someone you liked, you'd call them up, invite them over. To be honest, the scene frightened me a bit. I was only a young lad, and there were these older men eyeing you up. 
but it was a proper community. I mean, you look at the young ones now and you think, oh, it's just selfie time now. They're too busy showing everybody that they're having a good time. I think the scene paved the way for drag queens and performers. And I don't think American disco would be as famous as it was without us. <laughs> Thinking back now, I remember the Grosvenor Hotel on the Hagley Road. They had the likes of Noel Gordon, you know, from Crossroads, and Larry Grayson. Shut, Shut that, that door! door. <laughs> Bill Gavin! Yeah, yeah, Bill Gavin, yeah. Peekaboos. That had the old school drag. And the jug, well, everybody went there. Sidewalk, as it's known now. It used to have all the windows blacked out. Do you remember, George? Yeah, and the jester. Yeah, yeah, that was a subterranean bar. Yeah, we met at the jester. We did. You used to be able to see the fellas' legs coming down the stairs and wait for the rest of them to appear to decide if you wanted to chat them up or not. <laughs> he was in the Navy, weren't you, as well, George, all them years ago? Yeah, before I met him. Hey, you got into trouble when the mother-in-law found a letter from another fella in your coat pocket. Oh, well, yeah. She gave me the broom. I was married when I was in the Navy. Thing was, I wasn't gay when I was a young man. I considered myself bisexual, but I hid it, really. And today, everything's like having a picnic. Well, it's heading in the right direction, isn't it? You see them now, and I do feel really proud when I see a young couple holding hands down the street. I mean, I still wouldn't do it. We never held hands in those days. Well, well, really, I didn't want the confrontation. You came on the trips with me, though, didn't you? Mm -hmm. I worked for an insurance company, and there were two women, two lesbians, who got the policies changed so that employees could bring their same-sex partners on the cruises. I know it's a shame it's not an equal world. You know that we've got to fight for it. You'd have to book a twin room on holiday or go to foreign places just to feel comfortable. We moved to Spain for seven years, doing bits of building where we had a lovely life. But because of George's health, no, we can't do that anymore. I suppose now we're going to have to think about the future. You know, make sure he gets the right kind of care, that sort of thing. Mm. We went to Sidges, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. well, my memory's not as it was, you see, but, but I remember some things. <laughs> you used to dance yourself silly in those days. <laughs> you know, there'd be Freddie. Crowded house. I, I like that. Laurie owned a few clubs in the sea. You know, he was well-loved in the community, wasn't he? He used to put on a show and he'd always say, Let's, Let's get, get back, to, back disco. to disco! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's lovely nowadays, you know, seeing everything mixed up. Like at Pride. Do you remember that, George? That used to be known as the five days of fun. Yeah. They'd have tug of wars and the women would always win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. But everyone stuck together. But there were some fellas who used to pretend they had fake girlfriends just to avoid the fuss. And of course, if you're under 21 and the police raided the club, you'd be dragged out, literally. I think if I, if I were 25 now and I saw someone, you know, getting abused in the street, maybe for walking hand in hand, I would say something. 
I would stick up for people. You can't be what you can't see. Charlie, he, him. I was always interested in superheroes with secret identities. Superman was my favourite. Um, and the guy from Quantum Leap? Do you remember him? He used to jump in and out of bodies and save the day. <laughs> yeah, I was into all that. Maybe because that's how I felt. That I was someone else or had another identity inside. I remember looking through a magazine with my mum. I think I was about ten. And there was a picture of a trans woman and she said, Is that what you want to do? She now says she can't remember having said it, but it stuck out as a memory for me. She does say she can remember me being really unhappy. Being dressed as a bridesmaid. Oh, God, it was a pink dress with those white crochet socks little girls wear. <laughs> I suppose I would say to young people going through this to be patient with their parents because they're going through it too. What I mean is, don't be upset if they don't want to throw things away, like your baby pictures, that kind of thing. Though I do think my mum was worried about herself a lot and what other people would think, the neighbours and all that. I remember noticing this odd man in my hometown, walking around in women's clothing. I thought it was a bit strange, it was a bit odd, a bit brave. I used to see them and think, oh, there's them again. And they were always alone, never with someone else, which I thought was kind of sad. It just gradually dawned on me. I liked David Bowie and Boy George because there was something about them, or about their music, connected with me. At 15, I went to see someone because I was desperate for counselling. It was a really difficult time. At the time, I think there was one trans group in London. I felt alone, but it was good to know there were other people like me. There are groups all over the place now. I mean, you can connect with people online, which we didn't have really back then. If you're shy or making your way on the trans journey, YouTube is very useful. You don't have the interact face-to-face -face bit, you can hear other people's views, accounts and experiences. It's important to connect with the right people for you, I think. There will always be someone else out there who will say, yeah, I felt like that too. When I was younger, I was unhappy and I kept saying to myself, can't you just live as you are? But you don't have a life at all if you're not visible. You're not living. That's why it was so important to see people like Eddie Izzard, Grayson Perry paving the way for people. Oh, Make Me a Man was on Channel 4. Stephen Whittle, yeah, oh, he's, he's a role model. It's important to be visible, to see people who are visible. You can't be what you can't see, you know. But mostly, I just want to get on with my life now, blend in. I say that, but also feel like I want to support people, to champion people's rights, make a difference to society, to tell people, you know, if one door doesn't work, find another. Talking of doors, public toilets are big things now, aren't they? What they put on their doors. 
Oh, they've made such a big thing out of it. We need to get over it. It's 2019. I mean, I'm glad things are slowly getting recognised now and we have the Trans Day of Visibility and the Trans Day of Remembrance to honour all those who died. But we have to be careful things don't go backwards. You've only got to look at the States. So much progress was made under Barack Obama's presidency. But now, all that is threatened by the Donald Trump. Politics on parade. Sean, he, him. Me? I'm a communist. And I still find myself around activists. I was a Birmingham-born polytechnic young punk, an original proper vegan, who never thought he'd see the day when a Tory MP came out or a lesbian led the Scots. A lot has been forgot, left in the footnotes of modern history. We used to march the streets with raised fists we fought for and gathered in solidarity. The lesbians, bi's, trans and gays, it was politics on parade in those days when the punks and the queers dragged near to one another down on the old scene with the much-respected Hazel Dean. And the original queens paved the way for the newbies and the peacocks paraded in packs and the dykes would fight if they were out for the night and one glance someone's missus like that. Back then was when we knitted together Unified by our difference, when that high-energy music or the famous Bronski beat would come thudding through walls, spilling out onto the streets, but we were no small-town boys. We got everywhere, we made noise. In those days, the personal was political and we fought for our left-wing rights. We knew what was coming from them blue flashing lights. The harassment, the system, the law was a piston harnessing power. So we stormed into London and in rugby we marched because they thought we were sexual deviants who were evil at heart. We unfurled our banners and they threw us in jail then released us on bail. And after they dragged half of us through the streets they beseeched us to keep the peace. Then in June 1982 Gallop sent in its horses. Lawyers armed with flyers set up to monitor the police forces. And then the lesbians stood with the miners on strike. The work had started, but we hadn't won the fight. Because then, some 60% in 87 said homosexuality was wrong. Compounded by law when Section 28 came along. They took our LGBT books and tried to nip it in the bud. Removed our sex from education, made us invisible. Clear the shells of deprivation. Yet down at Green and Common, 36 women were shouting, We want better! Chained to the fence in a protest against the use of nuclear weapons. We filled coach loads, we made leaflets, wore t-shirts with the words printed, Stop the claws. We circulated pubs, stuck our posters on the walls, gathered in car parks, fighting for peace, sat at tables planning protests over a pint in Borsal Heath. In the days of Chris Smith and Christine Crawley, we all fought for our equality. We did what we had to do. When the law pushed against our shove, we always pulled it through. Theatre companies formed like the Gay Sweatshop, and then Freddie and Julian were seen storming Top of the Pops, and Rod Dungate published Gay Plays 5, and the print numbers of the pink paper increasingly on the rise, and the scene led AIDS prevention for men, formed in 1996, known as Slapathem. Now it's all gone mainstream. It's mostly drugs and prep and boozing. 
Well, that's what I've seen. Don't you think it's funny how we're on the cheap bit of town? The scene we're always on the skirt seems. And when real estate comes looking for space, it's always our clubs at their mercy. What about the rest of the world? What about trans? What about school sex education plans? Who's marching for them? Me? I'm a communist. And I still consider myself as an activist. But what are we active for anymore? When the disco lights of the village are flashing and I see the young ones freely kissing, dancing. I think of how we got here. Now I'm a fixture, a part of the furniture, they'd say. Still humming Tom Robinson's tune, sing if you're glad to be gay. So come on, sing if you're glad to be gay. Sing if you're glad to be gay. Sing if you're happy that way. I never imagined this happening. Peter, he, him. I was at the pub getting pissed every night. You forgot about all the shit. Get the alcohol inside you and have a laugh. I'd go out and get tanked up, drinking with the straight fellas in Selly Oak. Then I'd get into the car and drive to one or two gay pubs in town, not to see friends, but for sexual contact. I knew I was gay back when I was ten. Well, I never knew the word gay, I... I just knew I was different. It was never talked about at school. In the family, if you heard about a Nancy boy in the area, you thought, oh, fucking hell, I don't want to be known as a Nancy boy. I was 22 and it was all made legal. But that didn't make any difference to me. I still wasn't fucking coming fucking out. I mean, I worked for Seven Trent. And the blokes were very butch blokes. Before that, I was in the Royal Air Force. Come out. Oh no, oh no. There was this one guy, very camp. He got done for doing stuff in public toilets, got put in jail. When he came out, everybody was very condescending with him, and I didn't want that. There was nobody like me in those workplaces. Well, that's what I thought. I say that, but I played squash for many years, and I think a few of the team were gay. But it was never talked about. Same in the Air Force. Nowadays, my nieces and nephews, they talk about it at school. People are much more open about it, about all kinds of things, not just this. It's on TV now, in the mainstream, which has took a long time. I feel for the first time in my life, I am a whole person. I had a civil partnership seven years ago. Mum was still alive then, well into her nineties, and she said, as long as you're happy. And that was that. It's hard to give advice to young people now, because it's a totally different environment for them to what we had. One thing I would say is keep off the booze. But then I think, would I have coped without the booze? I asked myself once, why are you on the booze? Finally realising... I wasn't feeling good about myself. Well, in the end, I just gradually cut back. I think I was looking for something. I went to various churches to see if I could find it there. But that was just a load of bollocks, to me anyway. I suppose, if you've never been happy, 
You don't know what you're looking for. You have to be content with yourself. Well, now I'm being open that I'm gay. But that's really been only over the last ten years. I'm not saying life's a ball or anything like that, but I am happier in myself. People know who I am. And you don't have to pretend to be anything other than what you are. It's only a little part of us. But it's a big part if you have to keep it hidden. Next week, all my family, nieces, nephews, great-nieces and nephews, about 40 of them, are coming to my partner's restaurant in Sheffield. My partner's from Singapore. Oh, he's a fantastic chef. Cooks lovely food. I never imagined this happening. I never saw any of this as a possibility. Maddie, she, her. I wasn't part of the women's movement. I've always been more interested in horses, campaigning for animal rights. Horses don't care who you are. When I was 17, I had a relationship with a 34-year-old woman. She taught me so much. I mean, I wouldn't say I was comfortable about who I was in those days. On my 22nd birthday, I took a whole bottle of sleeping pills. I was in love with an older woman. Just wanted to be like everyone else. I was working with horses on a farm at the time and the farm he had a son and I got engaged to him. He was lovely but I couldn't bear him sexually. Still I was on track for marrying him. I would have gone through with it but my great uncle and his partner took me to see the killing of Sister George in London and then for this meal in Soho where he quoted Shakespeare to me. To thine own self be true. He was right. It was not fair to me, it was not fair to the farmer's son, and I broke it off. There was an enormous row at home. Mum got taken ill, had to be taken to hospital. She, she died in the ambulance. They were both so worried about what other people thought. They were from such a different generation, born at the turn of the last century, very different values. I think a lot has changed for women. When I look back now, it was difficult. It was all very difficult. I often got shouted at. You go to the old Mosley Arms, get off the bus at the library, get shouted at by a bunch of fellas. Leaving the old Mo was always a palaver. You couldn't go out on your own. It always had to be in threes or fives, always odd numbers. And you would go out in stages, so you'd be waiting in a queue to leave. Make sure you're safe. It's part of my makeup, not all of my makeup. I often felt I was condemned from all sides. But we worked hard, we pulled it through. We fought so hard to get it right. The young ones are now so lucky. In those days, my gaydar worked. Nowadays, it's more difficult to spot each other. There are more androgynous people around. We were out. We didn't hide it. We swapped partners. We laughed, we cried, we embraced life. We stood our ground, we paved the way. People have changed, there's more opportunities now at work to take different jobs, things have changed. It's all okay now, isn't it? I've learned to accept myself more. I mean, you fall in love with the person, not the gender. I think there's too much labeling. LGBTQ+, I mean, why make the list longer? Why not make it shorter? Would I have had gender reassignment if it had been around? I don't know. Everything's a bit more fluid these days. We are born as we are. Oh, thank God I am the age I am now. Left on an odd number.
Mags, she, her. Well, I snogged my sister-in-law on the number 52 bus. Of course I enjoyed it. I was in love with her. I love my husband too, but, but not in the same way. I knew something about our marriage just wasn't right. He said to me, you're built wrong, you are. You, you're built wrong. Thing is, I have had sex with men, a fair few really. And I've had some good experiences with, with blokes. But you know, it just wasn't for me, you know. For me, it's an equal thing with women. And I like the softness of their skin. And the sex? Well, I used to be with this one woman and she'd say, Oi, you can't leave me on an odd number. And I'd say, five orgasms is enough for anyone. I met women by going out, really. Because I think it's important to meet people. I mean, it's not good for yourself, worth to hide what you are. Mind you, these days, it's all on your phone. I went to the Grosvenor Hotel on the Hagley Road. Picked up my courage, had a few beers and went up to this woman. Would you like to dance? She didn't want to dance with me. It didn't stop me, though, looking for women. I love women. I always look at the arse. <laughs> I met up with Sharon when I was 25 and that's when I come out. Once I realised what I was. Hey, I kissed my neighbour and all. She came to me and we got a bit pissed and I snogged her. And then I woke up next morning and I thought, oh God, you know, what did I do? She came round and I said to her, I'm, I'm sorry about last night. But she said, oh, it's all right. I quite liked it. It was my dad who outed me. On the bloody bus. He said, hey, Mrs Croft, do you know our Maggie's a lesbian? <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> He'd say I was left-handed. When I was a child, I'd go up the quarry and collect newts. I like cars, not dolls. But Dad, he just loved me for me. Yeah, I've always been proud. And I've always told the boss. The one I told, he put me on the back of his bike, took me to Tamworth. We got drunk and he said to me, You're too good looking to be one of them lezzies. There's a lot of assumptions out there, but being gay is only part of who I am. I think, you know, get to know me first. And there was another time when I applied for a job as a head training officer. And they says to me, we are a bit worried. Will you start interfering with the girls? I mean, a lot has changed now, hasn't it? People used to get married to leave home. But I wouldn't have got married if I had my chance now. The number of gay people in this country has gone from 2% to about 5-6% now. So you've got to think positively. For me, it's all about ageing with pride. Relaxing, having a drink, getting out and about, you know, up the fox, socialising. Hey, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. What are you doing later? I'm no shrinking violet. Daniel, he, him. Something happened in my childhood. So when I told my mum I was gay at 16, I think she was upset and put it down to what had happened. But I'd always known I was gay. I remember this teacher at school saying, men have to fight to get a woman's attention. And at the time I thought, well, I won't be doing that. <laughs> I used to go all over the place to meet men. 
Bristol, Bath, Paris. Met men who rode motorbikes and went cottaging in Worcester. People would say to me, you don't look or sound gay. Well, if they expect Julian Clary or Larry Grayson, you know. I told people to sling their oak if they didn't like it. I'm no shrinking violet. But I never mixed personal with professional. Though there was this once, when I saw another gay colleague up the scene. The next day, he told everyone I was in the Nightingale. It felt like a betrayal. My boss took it badly, and I was treated differently. It was like they wanted to shut the curtains on me. Well, that was back in the day when there used to be a small gay community of motherly lesbians who looked after everyone. The days when it was about community, not commercialism. It's quite funny, though, really. When the gale moved from her street, it was almost bankrupt. The management said, we'd better let the lesbians in. We're in the red and they'll drink us back into the black. <laughs> I remember it around 10 to 2 in the morning at the gale. The DJ would play three slow songs so that all the boys who had been looking at each other could get together before home time. I'm past all that now, but I like going back to Pride with my nephews because I get to see how they're experiencing it all. It's a shame, though, because there is an ageing stigma in the community. The whole scene is fueled so much by alcohol, and there's more to life than that. People to connect with. Wendy. She, her. I was married for years to a fella before we met. I remember telling my sister how I felt about women, though. She told me to keep my mouth shut and not tell my husband, Paul, but I'd kept my mouth shut for years. I knew who I was at 14. I remember the moment exactly that I realised. I was in a secret hidey hole with my best friend at school, having a fag, clicking my heels as you do. I'd had a kiss with a certain girl, and I was just thinking about it. And I remember the hair on my skin standing on end, puffing on this fag, and I thought, oh no, I'm gay. I didn't say anything to my mate because I was afraid. I'd only ever heard disgusting comments, so I never told anybody. Not even my best friend. I thought, I'm risking being made fun of, and I didn't want all that. My sister said I needed to find the right man. People are always worried you're going to have a harder life being gay. I do remember her saying, it would have been better if you weren't gay. It would be easier. But I wouldn't have got married if I had my chance again. I mean, all that ended anyway. I had a long-term relationship with a woman, but when that ended, I felt isolated. I just kept thinking, I don't want to be propping up the bar of the fox for the rest of my life. There's got to be another way to meet women. I remember ringing up the switchboards to find groups years ago. You'd press six, because that was the number that was supposed to tell you what was going on, and there'd just be this silence. I decided my best bet was to go up to Manchester, because there was nothing going on here. There I am, driving on the motorway, thinking, what the hell am I doing? Can't we have something more local? There were some meetings set up in Birmingham eventually, and then they got to be once a month. And after I'd been to a few of them, I thought, well, I could do this. So I set up my own lesbian dining group, and I just said, you know, I'll be in such and such a place, such and such a time, come along. And I met my present partner there. And for us, it's all about them networks keeping the groups going, getting the word out there about meeting up. There aren't the same support networks these days, so that's why we think joining a group is important. And I do think 
it's easier to be open in a dedicated space. I think women need to talk to each other. Find out from others where to go. Even if you're not confident, just go once. If you don't like it, you don't have to go again. It's all about finding people to connect with. Have a laugh. We needed it back then and I'm sure gay people need it now. I mean, bloody hell. You had to phone up to turn up to anything years ago. Ringing on my parents' phone. I was terrified of it coming up on their bill. They'd be calling me Valerie Singleton. <laughs> yeah, it has changed. I mean, we've gone from nothing to the fox, to an explosion on the scene, and now to all this development. All that does make you wonder, will we go back to where we started? But if you've got a support network or a group to go to, you've always got that, do you know what I mean? For us, that's what it's all about. I kissed a girl and became an activist. Lorna, she, her. It was the 17th of June, 1983, the last day of exams, and I'd been revising with this girl who was on the same course as me. We ended up drinking and got close. Then our legs touched, and this electricity ran up the body. We kissed, and everything just fell into place in my head. I had a relationship with her till she went back to live in Liverpool. A whole two weeks. <laughs> I wrote a letter to my mum to tell her I was gay and I didn't hear back from her. So I called her on a Sunday afternoon and she said she knew I was gay on account she couldn't get me out of jeans. But she didn't want to say anything or guess because she didn't want to offend me if she was wrong. I had a two-year relationship with another woman but I wish I'd got out of that sooner. She was really violent. But... I put up with it. Perhaps I thought, well, because she was a woman, I didn't feel as though it was completely wrong. But looking back now, yeah, I think we should talk more about same-sex domestic violence. I had a better relationship with a woman I met who was part of the Women Opposing Nuclear Threat group. And she wangled me into all the political circles. And that's how I met women like me. I realised all the lesbians were hiding out in Borsal Heath. The old Mosley Arms and the back bar of the malt shovel is where you would find all the right-on political women. And they get involved with everything. Section 28 really affected me because I was a librarian and the discussion in 97 to get rid of any LGBT books or literature from schools moved me on to do something. Then I suppose it just went on from there, really. I went on marches against Section 28, supported the AIDS crisis. We did a lot back then. Six years ago, I went to see one of my favourite bands and the support act was a young political woman. She was writing protest songs and, you know, really making a stand, but she'd never heard of Greenham, you know. The Women's Peace Camp. There was a lot to fight for. And a lot was done by the community about all sorts, not just gay rights. And we really do need to keep those stories alive. 20 years in no man's land. Claire, she, her. The challenges come as you get older, I think. Anna and I were together 16 years before she passed away. We did know other couples, but where do you meet older lesbian women? 
the scene is very much a young people's place. You start to feel isolated as you get older. And I would like that to be different for people coming behind us. LGBTQ is just a difference, like any other difference. But older people in the community have a higher level of difficulty. And gosh, if I had my chance now, I wouldn't think I had to have a man to have a child. Now that there's more same-sex families around. All we want as people is a loving relationship with someone. We crave it. I spent 20 years in no man's land married to my husband before I met Anna and really fell in love. It does happen like that for a few women. But life experience makes you more courageous. I am who I am and I don't care anymore. You want to get to the end of your life really being who you are, don't you? Yeah. I'm not bothered anymore. Feet face forwards. Jessie. She. Her. Do you remember those cork swimming aids we had as children? They were floats you used to use to help you swim. Well, do you recall how when you pushed it underwater it would always pop back up? Well, that was the cycle of my trans experience. Do it, deny it, push it down. But it would always, always surface. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Photographs, whispering, sometimes preaching. From insult to harassment, I've had it all. Misgendered, mislabeled. One miss once said, he, sir, him. I said, it's she. Please address me properly. The labels. Used to be transvestite or tranny or transsexual. It's not really complex at all, but important nonetheless to get right. I've had regression therapy, psychotherapy. Sorry, it still triggers me sometimes. I knew at three, dressed up at eight, in secret. Growing ill-tempered, stressed. At 19, I joined the police force, smartly dressed, forcing masculinity, compensating overly. Twenties, married, treating the disease. Just don't let me see it, please, she'd say. Concealing, revealing, concealing. Felt guilty. Anyway, I loved her. Anyway, divorced her. Anyway, the 90s, birth of the internet. I began to understand, I began to see firsthand I was not alone. Cross-dressing sites, I didn't know who I was except what I felt like inside, but I realised I was not alone. Spending hundreds of pounds and hours to feel like me, outwardly and inwardly. Early days, lovely 80s days, Earl's Court. Coppers insulting gays to aggravate, agitate, then reinforce the law just to arrest them. So no way, no way would I say who I was at work. But Fridays, Fridays were nail days. Fridays were brow tint and lash lift days. Fridays were friends days. They only knew me like this. Out Friday, Saturday and probably Sunday. Come Monday, varnish off, uniform on and wigs back in the box. I became feminine to masculine overnight. Trained up in firearms. I was always first on the fights. I was police DI. Macho, macho man. Then the next weekend, the Beaumont Society. Cross-dressing society? Formed in 66, still going strong. 
It was wigs out and makeup on, years and years slowly presenting more as me and less as he. A growing fear, planning routes, dodging trouble. Are you after cock? Is that what it is? I like women and I'm a woman. I mean, I'm a trans woman who likes women, so no. Trans people are still the punchline. Punched on my gut, I'm the butt of their joke. Still headline bloke, still sidelined. Trans has its own umbrella, so we keep weathering the storm, yet in some gay pubs we are not wanted at all. Sometimes I'm aghast of how much of a stereotype I am, of the journey I've had. We're halfway up the mountain, yes, we've come far looking back, but we've got to keep moving forwards to a time when trans is a non-issue, when decent human kindness is the degree by which they judge me. Because kindness makes the difference. I've seen it. Like the woman in Mac who let me change in the back after a makeover. Oh, what a feeling. That kind of embrace was amazing. And then my friend says, ball ring, shopping. I said, okay then. In a yellow suede skirt, I look at her and I say, I need the bathroom. And she pushes me out of my comfort zone. It's fight or flight. I head over to the lady. She taps me on the side and she says, remember, triple F. I said, triple F. She said, yes, in the loo. Feet face forwards. It's a party, not propaganda. Jeff, he, him. Back when we were coming out, you would never have seen two men kissing on screen or a same-sex relationship in the main storyline, week in, week out, there would have been an outrage. The media controls what we think about people, and because there's been a rise in these kinds of stories, the public become more accepting of them. Now, I suppose, because of all that, it's easier for the young ones. I still wouldn't hold hands in certain parts of the city, because of how it was back then. But now, I suppose, younger people are experiencing it differently. They can be out, and not just at Pride. Now it's the party, not propaganda. I'm not saying it's all easy for LGBTQ plus folk now, but I feel there's a lack of recognition of the contributions older people made, or perhaps it's been taken for granted. There's more than just an age gap. There's a knowledge gap. LGBTQ history is our history. It shouldn't be erased and it should be put on the national curriculum. As much as we've had progression, it could very easily go into reverse. If it weren't for those people who fought for our rights to change things and to make us visible, things would have been so different now. So we've got to hold on to that history. hope you enjoyed listening to Looking Back, Moving Forward and here to discuss what they heard and what they're thinking about now are two younger members of the gay and lesbian community, uh, Michael Crump and Jesse Millwood. Do you mind me calling you two younger members of, of the lesbian and gay community? Well, I'm 28 uh, in a few days, so I think that's gay retirement age, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Done for business. And a closed shop. Okay, brilliant. Now, you were both heard those monologues and I was very interested to see how attentive you were to them. Is there anything that struck you about the, how things have changed and whether you feel there's stuff that's exactly the same or what's changed and do you feel that you 
are aware of, of what happened in the past and whether that is you're grateful to people who've gone before you? Absolutely. I'm totally grateful for it. Uh, and I'm grateful for ourselves to still be, you know, waving that flag and moving forward with it. Um, I mean, we're also lucky to be to be living in a time where we can just, I mean, at the click of a, a button, um, just find out the whole history of, you know, dating way, way back. And you can find out the people came before. Um, and, I mean, there's still a lot to do, but, I mean, we've, yep. we've certainly improved. Like you said, you know, um, looking back, moving forward, there's still a lot to to uh, to, to do before we're, we're fully kind of on an equal level, level playing field with people. Is there anything that you heard in the monologues that you thought, oh, that doesn't happen anymore? No, a lot of the stories were still, those things still happen. Um, and I think our generation, we were born in 93, 94. I mean, growing up in the 90s, I mean, there was still a lot of homophobia banded around, uh, especially when we were growing up in school, the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're a teacher, Jess, have you noticed a, like a marked improvement in, in how people respond to... Yes, uh, absolutely. The, there are still people in the black country who mm. are very old-minded in the fact that they it, it's not accepted. However, a lot, I'd say about 90% of the younger generation are a lot more accepting, a lot more open to it and um, are more free to express their sexuality. Um, I mean, my nephew's 10 and he said to me that he, he, knew, he heard about a girl at school who said that she might like girls, which is obviously 10, 11, sort of 12, he's quite young, but you do know from that age. Mm. And because he's got a gay uncle, which is me, hello, surprise, he said uh, he said to her, he just, apparently he said to her, uh, you know, that's just who you are and that's absolutely fine. And I thought for a 10-year-old to say that is just so well, mature and also just such a kind, considerate thing because that girl will probably remember that. Oh, it's lovely to hear you say the word kindness because in one of the monologues it, it says, let's just be kind to each other. So that kind of kindness, letting people get on with their own lives, be themselves. Do you think that's been helped by technology? You mentioned technology, Michael, and saying, you know, it's easier for us to find out about our history. But do you think that um, technology is also helpful and for people to get in touch with each other? You it's know, awareness social as well. media. Awareness, yeah. I think as well over the pandemic and so on a lot of these safe spaces for lgbtq plus people have been taken away in that they couldn't go to coffee shops and meet mm. up and they couldn't go to these uh, queer spaces so i think technology has helped there in that combating th loneliness yeah yeah they could still have that togetherness not the way they wanted however it was still there for them. There's quite a lot of talk in a couple of monologues about how it was always you had to go to bars, you had to be listening to certain kind of music, you had to be on the scene to meet people. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Do you think that's still the same or is it a wider place where people can meet up now? It is where you, when you first start, when you first start going out <laughs> yeah. when you're 18, I yeah. think it is the place to go to meet people and kind of, you've got to find your feet, you've got you to find 18, out who you are. I was going out from the age of 15. Oh, yeah, no, you were, yeah. So you started quite, I mean, I remember when I met you when you were 15, I was 16, you took me to a gay, we won't mention the gay bar, but we went to a, a, gay, a gay bar. That has been mentioned in the monologues. Yes. Uh, um, it's just a great space. And at that age, I'd never, ever been to, I mean, Jess really did open doors for me growing up um, because I lived in a household where my dad wasn't keen on it at all. Um, and meeting Jess was just, uh, it's anything, the only time I'm ever going to say anything nice to you, Jess, so make, make sure you I'm make listening. the most of this. Um, you know, going to a gay bars with Jess was just such an eye-opening experience because I was like, I'm not alone. 
you know, and there's the people here who are just like me, who've got the same sense of humour as me, who who want to dress the same as me and be the same as me, because that's just who they are. And if it wasn't for Jess, I, I think I'd have probably stayed in the closet a lot longer than I did. Okay, yeah. so people are still staying in the closet. Do you think that is still the case with people? It isn't straightforward still. <laughs> that's a tough one. I think it's, I think there are a lot more options for the closet to be opened these days and to be able to identify whether uh, a lot of people are saying about all these different uh, sexualities and all these different flags and that it's a, a bad thing. There's too many of them. However, I think if you choose to sit in a box, you can uh, and know that you're not alone and know that the way that you're feeling, that, that matches the way that I'm feeling and that's okay. There are other people like me. Or you can think, forget the boxes. Um, It's very fluid and... I can be in this box this day, this box another day, or in a circle. I mean, it's not to say there's still, there are still people who completely are opposed to it. Um, but you mentioned the black country, and that made me think uh, that um, I know loads of people in the black country, like from where I'm from, Blackheath, that are, that are gay, but they're like kind of well protected by their family. They had they had tough times coming out because obviously it's quite a rough area. It's very working class, very rough, proper like, you know, blokes are bloke, a woman's a woman aid. Um, but... The people I know from the black country who are gay are really funny and they've got big personalities and they are very well protected. Um, not the, always the case, but I think that is a big thing to be said. Is that once you Do come you out? Do you think there's almost a historical understanding in those in those areas of yeah, we're gonna we're gonna appreciate people that there are they're our gay uncles, they're our gay cousins, <laughs> you know, and we're gonna protect them. Do you think that's yeah, it's more the case. I know that if I, you know, if I know people who, if they were ever started on anything was said, I mean, they'd be able to handle themselves well enough. But if anything serious ever happened, they'd be very much supported. Um, just... I think, yeah, it's very sad that we're talking about aggression and violence. And I know as, as we're sharing this podcast now in 2021, although they were recorded in 2019, there has been, there seems to be um, a resurgence, maybe, and it never went away anyway, of, of homophobic attacks. Mm. Why, why do you think that may be coming back horribly? I think it's because there is uh, more awareness in the media, therefore people um, feel a lot safer to come out, but therefore it has it's a pendulum effect, isn't it, really, that there's more people f that feel safer to come out. However, those that do hate are making their voices known as well yeah. and they're rising up too. Um, and I think the whole thing is a pendulum and eventually it will have a, a nice little settle in the middle. Um, but we're still, we're, still, we're still doing it, aren't we? Mm -hmm. You said earlier, Michael, before we started recording, that you never really felt safe. No. I mean, I felt, it's going to sound strange, but I felt safer walking around the streets of London than I do walking around Birmingham right, or the Black okay. Country. I mean, I can't, I've never been able to hold hands. And the only time I hold hands with my with my partner is when it's really dark and we're walking down the canal and no one's there, you know? We couldn't do that walking around the street. I couldn't, you know, I'm scared to even like brush my arm past his, even now. I mean, I'm 28. Um, I mean, he was, in one of the monologues, it says, yeah, we had to move abroad for an easier life. And every day I'll say to him, still now, I'll say, actually, we just moved to Amsterdam. She would just move somewhere like in, you know, nice in Europe and we can walk around holding hands and no one cares, which is sad. But that's the thing that hasn't changed. I think there's still that that kind of fear. Um, you know, your heart's racing when you see a group of lads walking past and you think, oh, God, it's today the day. Um, okay, I'm really so sorry to hear that. But it hasn't changed. I do you think, think it's different for women, Jess? I do. I think it's different. I have no problems with holding my girlfriend's hand. Um, 
or anyone's hand if they're offering. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that comes from the fact that uh, being a lesbian was never um, criminalised. Mm. It was never never something like that. It was always the gay men that were seen as the threat as opposed to two women. And I think uh, as well, women being sexualised and lesbians being sexualised mm. made it a lot more, I say, acceptable to hold hands in public and so on. Because um, straight men don't want to think about two men going at it, do they? But they wouldn't mind thinking about two women. Do you think That's it's this... all about, for, from the straight man's point of view, what they will um, allow to happen. So they're not going to allow to see two men, but they're yeah. quite like the idea of or two women walking around. Or they will say, oh, you two are gay, then kiss then mm. to women. Ah, okay. Or so kind of watch. for them. Yeah. And it's it's very much male-dominated, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't say it to, to Michael. Uh, I don't know. Well, no, they've asked. I've been asked. I was walking down uh, Pope Lane by Pet Lane Cemetery with my partner about six to eight months ago, and this about twelve or thirteen year old school kid was walking behind, shouting "Batty boy," and I thought he was talking to his friends. So me and my partner just carried on chatting, but I could see my partner was visibly like shook, 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 shaken, shaken up by it, even though the kid was about three foot tall. And as we walked off, they didn't say it when we were right next to him, and we ignored him. And one of them shouted, uh, "Were you two?" Uh, you, I'm not going to say exactly what yeah. he said, but he, do you two, you know, do each other? And I said, yeah, do you want to watch? And he went, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and if you <laughs> confront them with humour or you just kind of act like you don't care, they kind of don't know what to say. Humour's very important, isn't it, in all this? But I suppose not everybody's got those quick retorts and everybody's different. Yeah. I think it's interesting that people perhaps feel they've got to be larger than life or the funniest person and all that to sort of... To, to counteract that kind of stuff. There was quite a lot of talk in the, in the monologues about segregated spaces, mm. and it feels to me that that has changed quite a lot, that, you know, gay bars, lots of straight people go to them. I just wondered what you thought about that, whether you think that's changed things, whether segregated spaces are a good idea. I think that... Um, they were segregated spaces, and when you put it like that, it sounds a lot more political than it uh, actually is. I think mm. segregated spaces you would associate with no Irish, no blacks, no and so uh, on. No dogs. Yeah, no dogs, um, and that sort of thing. However, I think gay people have reclaimed those spaces in a positive light. So, yes, we have been shunned there. However, um, we're here and we're queer, yeah. and this is where uh, we drink our beer. Okay. <laughs> and that is literally what it is. Um, I mean, if you give, and we're quite resourceful. If you give a gay, you know, person, you lock them in a room, they're going to paint that room and they're going to tidy it up and make it their own. Yeah. Gays and lesbians. I think that's what we've and done. And you don't mind sharing that space with straight community members? As long as they don't ask us to go shopping with them, I think we're okay. <laughs> um, Brilliant. What do you no? think, Jess? I think, Yeah. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Get them in. People go to loads of straight blokes like going to gay bars because there's no trouble. Cheap drinks, really good music, and everyone's the friendly. You don't see fights in gay bars, really. And it's broken up pretty soon. They're best friends after anyway. So. And you don't stick to the floor. Only the men. I don't know where you've been going, but I have stuck to some others, we'll say. What about the politics? You mentioned the word um, politics, Jess, and there's quite a bit of talk about politics in, in the monologues saying that, you know, People going on on marches, um, write the pink paper, which was a newspaper that sort of I don't, I'm, don't, I'm not sure it exists anymore really. That kind of discuss politics and campaigns and things like that. Do you have a sense of um, the politics of being gay, or is that 
not what people are talking about now. Uh, well, I have an auntie that was kicked out of the army for being gay, mm -hmm. uh, well, a lesbian. Um, I think it's still something that affects us now. I think there's a lot more funding for gay spaces now regarding mental health as well. Mm. Um, and I don't think the mental health problem is, comes from being gay. I think it comes from... People's reactions. Yeah. How they treat you. Oh, so that's very interesting. So the mental health thing is actually looking at the way society needs to change mm. rather than giving people gay counselling or helping them with their own mental health. It's, 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 yeah, that's very interesting. So, okay. However, when I was at school, I um, had counselling through an external agency and they told me that all of my problems had come from the fact that I'd convinced myself I was gay. Mm. So right. I stopped going. Okay. But they're still in... Uh, they're still open today and they're still I don't think I've, I've known anyone who's had a good experience with that certain company. Yeah. All right, let's not mention them. Don't get sued. No. But what you're saying is that things are being put down to, oh, you're gay. That, and in that case, you've convinced yourself that you're gay. Yeah. Rather than looking at the wider issues of the yeah. prejudice that's still there. And do you think it is still there? I think there is still prejudice, yeah. I don't think it says... Uh, constantly aggressive as it was, but I think it's, it's still. Not, is it as much? It's not kind of. Yeah, it's not really. Is the word overt? Yeah, it's not really overt as as it used to be. You know, you wouldn't get slapped or spat on like Quentin Crisp was. You know, uh, was punched, spat on, kicked. We were spat on. We at school. No, it, we it's on our timeline on our Facebook. We were spat on by who? They spat out the top top deck of the bus, the one two six on us. So they were they oh, were, yeah. yeah, they were shouting stuff at us, and then they fell fell up the stairs on the way up. Yeah, and we had a good old laugh about that because that was like instant karma. Yeah, I remember and then that. when we got off the bus, they were spitting out the top window at us. I've been spat on loads of times. Yeah, at school, I got beat up at school for being gay. Um, well, it's so very sad to hear that that a lot of stuff hasn't changed. When are you, I'm going to go back to the original question about the sort of acknowledgement of things that people, you mentioned Quentin Crisp, and I know both of you have looked into the history of, of gay rights and stuff like that because you wanted to know about it. What kind of key moments do you think in the past were, were game changers, even though things are still bad and they are, and that's terrible, but what were the game changers, do you think, that have made things, I hope, easier for younger gay people Stone now? Stonewall riots. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such a, it's a proud thing, isn't it? And you feel it inside when we mentioned the, the Stonewall riots. It took a fire in the belly, and it? It's like yeah. a, you feel like you're part, so even though you weren't there, you're still, you're still part of something. Absolutely. You start a movement. Um, I, I heard, I remember on, you remember obviously the Black Lives Matter movement last year. Yeah. I remember somebody I used to follow, used to follow, started moaning about the riots. How's rioting going to change anything? Mm. And I messaged him and I said, listen, you live with your boyfriend and you're going to get married. Now, if it wasn't for riots, you would not be allowed to do that. So why why would you kind of kind of stamp on somebody else's rights and freedoms? And he, he kind of did, you know, accepted that that was the point and and took down his post. But it just makes you laugh because if it wasn't, for, he didn't know his own history. And I thought that was really disappointing. And I think that is the most wonderful place to stop this discussion, actually, and to thank Michael and Jess. We got to know our own history because, yeah, we're standing on the on the shoulders of people who have gone before us and made things slightly easier for us. And let's hope that continues to happen. So thank you very much to Jess and Michael.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Women in Theatre podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you know someone who would benefit and enjoy listening, why not share it with them? Also, rating and reviewing the podcast will help us to find new listeners. Looking Back, Moving Forwards was researched and written by myself, Janice Connolly and Hannah Graham and was performed by Janice Connolly, Hannah Graham and Richard Kernow-Stevens. It was commissioned by Birmingham Masoli Hill Mental Health Foundation Trust and the discussion involved me speaking with Michael Crump and Jess Millwood. The podcast was recorded and edited by Brum Podcast Studios here at Brum Radio. And this podcast includes music composed by Sam Frankie Fox as our intro.